Well, welcome. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor here. And if you've been visiting for the last three weeks, you wouldn't have seen me. So a big thank you to Brian Down, who's been filling in. And I'm going to have to go back and watch those sermons, but I've heard good things. So let's just give him a round of applause. So, no, we've been traveling. We've traveled all the way to Calgary, Alberta, and then uh, drove all the way back, did it in one trip. So 17 hours, including the ferry on the way home. And so I'm still trying to catch up from that. And uh, the joke is, you know, we started our holidays with, you know, renovating our home. It was unexpected. We had water damage. And now we've ended our holidays with Megan having, you know, a root canal and three teeth being pulled. Awesome. <laughs> Great holiday. No, actually, in between meant God blessed us. We had some good rest and, you know, some fishing, some horseback riding, some great family time and food. And so we are so grateful for what God has given us. We are in Proverbs. How many of you guys have been enjoying the sermon series in Proverbs? Oh, good. So half of you. We'll, we'll move on soon. And we have been talking about lessons in wisdom from Solomon. And so today we're going to be talking about wisdom for close relationships. Wisdom for close relationships. So I don't know about you, but when you kind of walk into someone's home, some of the first things that I look for is how they've decorated things. You know, they, they may have art here and there on the wall. You know, and at times I look for family photos. Sometimes you see the family photo, you know, right above the fireplace. It's, you know, it's blown up. It's massive. It's been tweaked, that kind of thing. And, and other times you see, you know, the iPhone photos here and there. Just great memories. You know, we were trying to take some family photos this past few weeks. And we were taking family photos of the smaller cousins. And, you know, you're trying to line up, you know, parents in the center and kids on the side. And, and you're trying to get everyone to kind of say it's cheese and smile at the same time. What happens? Someone looks awkward every time. You know, it's like the awkward smile, like, smile. Mm. You know, or, or, you know, someone has left their sunglasses on or their iPhone in the front pocket and, it, and it's kind of bulging and ruining the shot. You know, there's always something. You know, but all of us are trying to kind of create that memory, that moment, that snapshot of that perfect picture that you can kind of hang on the wall and go, that's my family. Years ago, I was photographing a wedding, and I was taking a family portrait. You know, it was a very important portrait, and I had this fixed lens on, and I was kind of stepping backwards, looking through the lens, trying to frame it properly. And as I was moving back, I suddenly tripped. There's this cement block hiding in the grass that I didn't see, and I fell, and man, I was in pain. You know, the back of my leg is bruised and bleeding. And then everyone out, out front that I took the picture of is like, photographer, are you okay? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I pretend, even though I'm not. But the question is, do you pretend in your relationships when you're not? You know, all of us have this idea in mind, you know, what our relationship should be like. You know, maybe it's a friendship 
or a marriage or a relationship with your kids or grandkids. You know, we have this picture of what we think it should be like. You know, we may even ask ourselves, why do some single people have close friends and others struggle? You know, why do my kids look like such monsters when we go over to someone's house for dinner and everyone else's kids are wonderful? You know, we have this picture of what we think a relationship should be like. This idealism. And Proverbs tells us that we shouldn't be focused on having this perfect picture, this perfect family, these perfect relationships, but rather that we should be asking a different question. And the question that we need to ask is, are we applying wisdom to our close relationships? Are we applying wisdom? You know, if we're honest, Many of our households, maybe growing up or at home, feel at times like more like World War III. You know, there's fighting, there's conflict, there's things happening. Sometimes the marriage is falling apart. Sometimes the relationship with the kids is falling apart. Sometimes there's addiction. To quote Pink, and I'm not promoting her music, She writes this song about a family portrait, and this is what she says. Mama, please stop crying. I can't stand the sound. Your pain is painful, and it's tearing me down. I hear glasses breaking as I sit up in my bed. I told Dad, you didn't mean those nasty things that you said. You fight about money, about me and my brother. And this I come home to. This is my shelter. It, it, it ain't easy growing up in World War III. But in our family portrait, we looked pretty happy. Let's play pretend. But isn't that true? That we all pretend at times. We all pretend that everything is okay when it's not. We kind of take this snapshot this perfect picture, rather than applying wisdom to our relationships. So there's many ways that we could talk about close relationships. So I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about parenting. I want to talk about marriage. I want to talk about singleness. I want to talk about first marriage, sorry, parenting. And that we need to set wise goals for life in our parenting. That we need to set wise goals for life. And again, I want you to remember that as we study Proverbs, these are principles and not promises. These are principles that we try to apply to our life. And there's no promise that everything's going to work out. But they kind of steer us in the right direction. So first, goal number one is that we need to be committed to the right things. We need to be committed to the right things. Let's look with, look with me at Proverbs 4, 1 to 2, and this is what it says. Hear, O sons, I'm going to add daughters, a father's instruction. 
and be attentive that you may gain insight. Notice the words hear. Hear, sons and daughters, a father's instruction. In other words, it starts with the responsibility of a father passing wisdom down to sons and daughters. In other words, Proverbs is telling us that it's, it's a parent's responsibility to actually pass godly wisdom down. That means that we as parents need to actually interact with wisdom. We need to strive for wisdom ourselves so that we too can show our kids the right path. In other words, the interaction between parent and child is actually the key relationship for cultivating wisdom. It's not the youth pastor. It's not the church. But it's actually the family unit. This is huge. (laughs) But notice again the words, be attentive, that you may gain insight. In other words, kids and teenagers, this one's for you, that you need to actually pay attention to what your parents are trying to pass down. Okay, you can groan now. But parents, I want to remind you that you only have this small window of time in which you can pass wisdom down. You know, it can happen at the kitchen table as you're eating dinner. It can happen as you're driving to school or to an event. It can happen in kind of all those little interactions where you choose to engage your child and they engage you. You know, as we're driving to Alberta, we're seeing this amazing scene of the Rockies, which I could engage with my kids. Look at God's creation. I'm in awe. Are you in awe? This is unbelievable. Or the question is, you know, how are you really doing? And as you drive, you're not even looking at each other. You can engage and conversation, and build relationship. But the goal, Proverbs is saying, is that we need to position our kids towards wisdom. And I'm going to say, and ultimately Christ. Proverbs 22.6 really emphasizes this. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Rick Warren says this, your commitments can develop you or destroy you, but either way, they will define you. So the question is, what are you committed to? Is it cultivating wisdom with your kids? And are you committed to the right things? The second thing the Proverbs talks about is character. The goal is developing character in our kids. You know, character is really being the right person. Character is who you really are when no one is looking. Proverbs 4.4 4 says this. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 
In other words, character is the control center that directs the entire person. You know, it is the key to, uh, I would say, success in all areas of life. You can be skilled, you can be great at something, but if you don't have character, you will fall. Skill can be developed, but character, oh. Why? Because when your heart longs for the wrong things, you actually become the wrong thing. And the parent in Proverbs is telling the son and daughter to guard their heart carefully. Be careful what you let in. Because if you corrupt your inner self, your inner being, you know what? It's going to impact every area of your life. Your relationship with your parents. Your relationship with your future spouse. You know, the direction that your entire life goes will be impacted. Oh, be careful. Be careful what you let in. Be careful what you see. Be careful what you hear. Character. Scholar named Michael Fox, not Michael J. Fox, says this. Wisdom. There's a characterization of character, a compound of knowledge, fears, and expectations and desires that enables one to identify the right path and keep to it. Wisdom means not only knowing, but also wanting to do what is right and to avoid sin. Again, it's a heart change. It's not just knowing what is right, it's actually wanting to do what is right. In other words, good character is godly character because it's based on this commitment to God. It's knowing God and therefore becoming and desiring to be more like God. So here's the question that we all need to be asking is, how do we lead our kids down paths of producing godly character? How do we lead our kids to becoming more like Christ? It's a big question. Well, again, character is the image of Christ being formed in us. And we know that character is being developed through hardship and trials. In other words, doing the hard things in life even when we don't want to. It's not developed when we do everything for our kids, but it's fostered through experiencing these un, this unconditional love when they fall short. But God is the one who produces character in us. Character is not developed when we are entitled, when things are easy, when things are comfortable. But in hardship, when we actually turn to Christ and say, change me, transform my heart, you know, this part of me needs to go <laughs> and repent. And when we model that for our kids, they go, oh, mom and dad aren't perfect. My dad made a mistake. And I see him repenting. I see him on his knees saying, oh, this needs to change. I'm sorry. That's how we point our kids to character. Goal number three is competency. 
How do we lead our kids to competency? Look with me at Proverbs 4, 7 to 8, which says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. In other words, the book of Proverbs is encouraging parents to work hard at being competent and actually passing off wisdom to our kids. You know, it's not something that comes easy. It's something that needs intentionality. I know in my household, if you kind of just let everyone do what they want, the last thing that happens is passing off wisdom. Usually the TV goes on. You know, usually the iPhones come out. You know, everything happens but intentional passing off of wisdom. But I want to say for a lot of parents, it just actually means being present and having a relationship with your kids. You know, looking at them from eyeball to eyeball and saying, hey, how are you doing? And spending that 15, 20 minutes a day just asking questions, connecting. Sometimes it means actually reading the Bible together and letting them give you input. Sometimes it's praying together. And sometimes it's exampling the everyday hard things in life when we're going through hard things and going, hey, this is happening. You know what? One day you're going to experience this too. Remember this. It also means that we as parents need to actually get better at prizing our role to equip our kids. Because someday they're actually going to leave the nest. They're going to leave home. And they're going to live in the real world. And if we haven't equipped our kids to live in this culture, we're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. It means that we need to actually prepare them for middle school, high school, college, dating, and marriage. In other words, we have a big task, families, parents, a big responsibility. And you're going to fail at this, and that's okay, and I'm going to fail at this. But the question I want to ask is, is there something that you can do today to take one step towards equipping your kids? Maybe it's reading a book together. Maybe it's having a conversation. You know, as someone who's worked with youth for 12 years, has been a pastor for 22 years, I often have heard this question, you know, why are so many young people leaving the church? pondered it, done much research on it. I came across a study, and I've referenced it before in a different sermon, that Lifeway has done in 2016. You can throw the graph up there. But in the 2016 study of church-going parents, Lifeway research found that this is how kids did stay in the church, is that there was regular Bible reading as a child, and it was the biggest predictor in spiritual health in young adults. So in other words, those who are reading the Bible in their home stayed in church. In other words, what happened at home matters. <laughs> the second predictor is that the child regularly spent time in prayer while growing up. 
The third predictor is that the child served in the church while growing up. In other words, these are the things that kept people engaged and connected in church. And so when they became a young adult, they stayed involved. They stayed connected. Why? Because they were equipped. Again, I don't want to beat parents up. That is not my job. But I want to draw this to our attention is that we have a huge responsibility, church. Parents, grandparents, to equip our kids. So secondly, I want to take a moment to talk about marriage. How do we work hard on our close relationships? How do we work hard in our close relationships? Well, I'm going to start with kind of a silly one, but it's not too silly, is that We need to work hard to avoid adultery. We need to work hard to avoid adultery. Proverbs 6, 32 says this. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. In other words, Proverbs is giving us a warning to both men and women who are captured by, you know, smooth talk, beauty, and this desire to spend your life with someone else other than your spouse. And actually, if you're not careful, it can happen so quickly. I've heard story after story of those who have just slipped into adultery. And almost every single time, it's like, no, actually, I didn't intend to do this. That some relationship happened at work or at the coffee shop where there was this spark. Maybe it was a look, but there was an attraction that lured the other person in, and they kept going back for more. And suddenly, they found themselves committing adultery. Proverbs is saying, be wise when you spend time and communicate with someone else's spouse. Be wise in how you engage with others. Secondly, work hard to avoid marrying the wrong person. Single people, listen to this. Work hard to avoid marrying the wrong person. Again, these are some silly Proverbs, some good ones. Look with me at Proverbs 21.9. It says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a loving home. Proverbs 21.19, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. I'll just let those sit there. Clearly, these were written by men. (laughs) But actually, they apply to both sexes. In other words, be careful who you marry because the wrong spouse can be like emotional and physical torture. It's a big decision. And Proverbs gives this clear warning. Again, Proverbs eleven twenty two. 22. It says, a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Again, it's a warning. It's saying beauty. Beauty is what often attracts a man or woman in the first place. And when you seek beauty and attraction and you make all your decisions based on how someone looks... And how someone makes you feel, oh man, look out. 
You know, she may be beautiful, but she may be lacking in every other way. Or he may be beautiful, and he may be lacking in every other way. You know, I've witnessed this over and over. Is when a young man looks at a beautiful woman, or even an older man, you become stupid. And you make stupid decisions. Be careful, Proverbs is saying. Watch out. A lack of discretion when, you, when you're choosing the wrong spouse can actually lead to you to all kinds of relational problems, including cheating, you know, money problems, constant fighting. In other words, be careful. Be careful in who you marry. I think the question is, who actually is the right person? Proverbs 31 actually paints a picture of a woman who is the right person for a wife. She says she's a role model. She's a woman of strength. She's trustworthy. She's hardworking. She fears the Lord. And when you find her, she's so much more precious than jewels. And all the women is like, well, I don't live up to that. <laughs> no, but we should strive to. Lastly, is that we need to work hard to cultivate a healthy relationship with our spouse. We need to work hard at cultivating a healthy relationship with our spouse. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says this. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Who said the Bible was boring? You know, th th there's so much in the Word of God about marriage, love, and sex, and how it is good. And Proverbs here is turning the young man's attention away from all of the other beautiful women and saying, hey, focus on the one you've married. In other words, all other women are off limits. This is the one that you need to center your attention on, and you will be blessed. I'm actually going to borrow a few thoughts from Tim Keller here. He says, a spouse is someone bound to you by covenant. But what is the relationship that covenant creates? First, a spouse is a lover. And actually, in ancient societies, the purpose of marriage was to gain security and status for your family. You married the person who helped your family's status the most. That means that you marry for status rather than sexual pleasure and attraction. But actually, the Bible flips that. The Bible says your spouse must be your lover, and everyone else is off limits. And it's because of your covenant bond you learn to stick with each other through all things, to repent and forgive. And when you wrong each other and you come back together, your intimacy actually grows. And then actually sex becomes the celebration of your life together through the hard things, through the good things. 
And this physical union is a wonderful sign of the union of all other aspects of life. In other words, true sexual chemistry then grows from the entire relationship. But it's not just physical. In short, a healthy marriage is built on so much more than physical intimacy. And some have said it's actually the glue of marriage. So to talk plainly, husbands, if you actually want to have a good sex life, you need to actually love and value and affirm your wife. That is your responsibility to love her well. In other words, you actually have to work at it. It doesn't come easy over time. In other words, you need to date her, love her, give her affection, work out issues in a reasonable manner, be Christ to her. In other words, it is a husband's responsibility to actually cultivate and nurture his wife. And God is calling you, husbands, to care for your wife. Proverbs is saying, work hard. Steer your attention to the one that God has given you. Work hard. Here's a question. What is our Western approach to marriage? What is our Western approach to marriage? It's simply this. What do I get out of it? And if I don't get what I want, I'm out. Right? In the book, The Best Advice I Ever Got on Marriage, Jim Daly writes this. He actually tells a story of a young tour guide in India. And he was in his early 20s, and he told us that his mom and dad was actually arranging his marriage. What? All the young people are like, what? No, actually, there's still arranged marriages in other parts of the world going on today. But he asked this question. Since you've toured so many Americans, what do you think the main difference between an Indian arranged marriage and a typical American uh, marriage is? And he says this. I will never forget his response. He says, I think the assumption is that an Indian arranged marriage is that over time you will fall in love with the person that you marry. But he says, with North Americans, I get the impression that you fall in love before marriage and then fall out of love during marriage. What an insight. So for those of you who are married, do you remember falling in love? Do you remember those moments? You know, was it walking at the beach? Was it date night? What was it? What did you do? I want to actually encourage you to recultivate those things. Maybe start dating your spouse again, going for walks again, showing affection again. Loving each other well again. In other words, it, it requires hard work and a plan. Here's the 
begs a question, what if we put as much effort into our marriages as we did it into our careers? What would happen? Here's two books that I've used um, that really have helped me put in the hard work into my marriage, and so I just want to pass them on. One is His Needs and Her Needs by Willard Harley. He's a psychologist, and he talks about all the different needs that we have, and we're all built differently so that couples can connect in proper ways. And the other one is Seven Secrets of an Awesome Marriage by Kim Kimberling. And so if someone wants to kind of go deeper into that, here's two resources. And actually, one of the things that we did was actually read the books out loud to each other so we could interact, and it was a really, really good thing. And so I would encourage couples to do that. Lastly, to have healthy relationships, we need to be looking to Christ for fulfillment. To have healthy relationships, we need to be looking to Christ for fulfillment. I want to talk for a moment to those who are single. Maybe you've been searching for a spouse and have not found a match, or maybe you feel like you're called to be single for the rest of your life. I would say no matter what your relationship status is, you will never find fulfillment in a human relationship. No spouse, no girlfriend, no boyfriend, no friendship, no parent will completely satisfy you. You may think that, you know, if you just find the right person, that person will complete you. I'd say that is a big lie. And those of you who have been married for a long time know what I'm saying. Because every relationship will eventually fall short. This is why Jesus says in John 15, 11, he says this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In other words, the word full is the context of a relationship with Jesus himself. And I want to emphasize the word relationship. There's this daily filling when we come to Christ, saying, fill me up, satisfy me, work out this garbage that I have in my own heart so that I'm a person of character, a person that can follow you, a person that can work through all the other issues I have with everyone else. (laughs) Fill me, Jesus. Give me that joy. It's not just simply praying a prayer where there's this easy kind of check this box and everything's perfect. No, Christ fills you up. I'm going to say life drains you empty. (laughs) Christ fills you up. And everything else sucks your joy out. In other words, it's Jesus that fills you up. It goes beyond this physical need and desire. There's something deeper in us that needs to be satisfied. You know, it's knowing him and what he did for you on a deeper level. And no human relationship can fill that void that your creator can. And when we look to another person to provide this complete satisfaction, I would say that's actually sinful and wrong. That sometimes we put that on our spouse or on our parent or on our friends. Like, you need to satisfy me. 
No, it's Christ that will satisfy you. It's your relationship with him. You young people, hear this. Many have woken up on the other side of sleeping with someone in a one-night stand. And after the initial thrill and experience, it has left them even more empty and disappointed. Sex will not satisfy you. And I'm saying that because as a young man, I believe that. I believed if I could just find that one woman, that one experience, and I put all my energy on that, on that prize, I realize more and more it's Christ that will fill me. And young people, Single people, you don't have to compromise your relationship with Jesus if you're struggling in that area. I would say actually the exact opposite is true. As 1 Corinthians 7.32 says, it talks about these interests are divided between serving God and your responsibility with your spouse. In other words, if you are single, you can actually give your full attention and devotion to the Lord. Read Paul. Look what he did. He didn't marry. And look at the impact that he had. Christ himself didn't marry. And so if you're looking for a spouse, man, have standards. But look for someone who's serving Christ, who considers others, who works hard and treats you with kindness and integrity. Look for someone who ultimately is being satisfied in, with Christ. I want to close with this. Every story is different. Make the most of what God has given you now. Hustle hard for the things that matter. Take risks. Make memories. Laugh a lot. Serve others. And ultimately solve problems and serve Christ. But care for your own soul so that you can experience the fullness of Christ. Because the world needs you and I to be fully alive. And it doesn't actually matter if you're single, married, or a parent. Good decisions won't actually transform your heart, but Christ will. Good decisions may help you enjoy the good things in life. They'll steer you in the right direction, but there's no guarantees. But ah, there is guarantees with Christ. And Jesus actually tells us that there is good news even if you found yourself in a broken relationship, in a disaster, and you don't know how to get out of it. And maybe you have failed along the way. But God says this, is that, oh, come to me. I will fulfill you. I will show you how to love. I will show you how to forgive. I will show you how to rebuild your life. It may look differently than what you want. It may not be the perfect picture. 
but it's perfect in my name. And the way we know God's wisdom is actually through the gospel and this relationship with Jesus. In other words, if you've not made a decision to live wisely through Christ and his path of wisdom, it's all for nothing. You won't be satisfied. And rather than focusing on this perfect picture of what we think our close relationship should look like, Proverbs tells us to ask a different question. Are we applying close Are we applying wisdom to our close relationships? And do you have a close relationship with Jesus that is fulfilling you? It's pouring out of joy. It's affecting every other area of your life. If not, start there. Here's some things to think about as we close. I'm going to call the worship team up. So how can you set wise goals for life? How can you work hard on your close relationships? And how can you look for Christ for your fulfillment? Let's pray. God, thank you for Proverbs. Thank you that there is so many amazing principles in there that steer us in the right direction. God, I just pray that if there's someone here that man, doesn't know what it's like to have their cup full because they're in relationship with you. I just pray that they would take that step this morning. That that would impact every single area of their life, whether they're married or single or have kids or not. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that your word gives us the tools for life. So help us to live in that, to focus our eyes on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together.